so as I want to share a word with you this morning um, as I do so. And you know, as we are in a very difficult stage, I know many of you that are watching the news and as mentioned this morning, you know, the world is shaking around us. And we, are, we feel sometimes the fear pressing against us or we get a sense of, and um, good friends with them. Um, so the fact that, you, yeah, it's just a wonderful couple, wonderful family. Um, but last year I was released from leading the congregation and my wife and I have been traveling around quite a bit. Um, and we were in Johannesburg last Sunday. Man, it was so exciting to see the life of God in the churches and what's happening. There's churches being planted. God is on the move. Their church is growing. And we are experiencing so much of the life of God. It's, just, it's a wonderful place to be. And I was in Bryanston, this little church plant in the middle of um, yeah, the Bryanston area. They've been going about seven months. And they're already around 80, 90 90 uh, adults and just exploding with growth and salvations and baptisms but they were meeting in a little venue a little office block and they don't actually have a venue like we do I mean I know in Wellington we've got these beautiful wine farms and Provence is this magnificent venue and we went to this venue and you have to go up two flights of stairs in an office park drive around and then you've got you know the meeting in the one floor and then the next floor is kids ministry and it's just trying to find the place and, um, but yet just to see, man, it's like we are privileged, even just, I know you're meeting in here today. Um, we were joking about COVID regulations. We shouldn't joke about that. But it's, um, while we're talking about it, very much there on that side is like they, were, they just didn't have space. People were jam-packed like this sitting together in a space, opening up all the windows. And, um, and yeah, just because God is there, the life of the Lord is there. And um, it's just an exciting season to be in, you know. And I want to say to you that, God is building his church, um, and he is building something that although the world is shaking, and in many ways we can't put our trust in human institutions, and in many ways the Bible never says that God is building a human institution. It says that God, Jesus says, I will build my church. And now when I use the word church, you know, we all have different experiences of that word church, don't we? We all have different things that come to mind when we think of church. But the thing that will last, that God is committed to until he returns, is to create for himself a people, a church. And for me, you know, church is not a building. That's very clear. I grew up in the Catholic church, actually, very traditional environment where in the Catholic church, you had a, you know, we went to mass every Sunday. We would do confession in the confessional booth. We had a father that would, would preach, dressed up like a mother, um, <laughs> had his smoking handbag, now, and there were people that loved the Lord there, but I grew up in a very traditional environment, and for me, church was about a building, and I didn't understand that actually church is a people. So when the New Testament speaks about a church, it speaks about a people, and so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at a portion of Scripture and really unpack for us the wonder of the church, and the reason that I'm doing that this morning is because I felt I wanted to remind you that in many ways... Our relationship to the church of Jesus Christ, and some of you might have a very very close relationship with the church as you're part of it. Some of you maybe are looking from a distance where you're kind of still checking this church thing out. Maybe others of you have been part of church life and you've drifted over a period of time. You know, we all have a different relationship with, with the church. Um, but yet, I want to say to you this, and something I felt like, just as I explain the why of what I want to share, and we're going to look at a scripture in Ephesians, is that your destiny is intricately tied to the church. 
And if you want to ever grow in God and be the person that God has called you to be with your gifts and your abilities and your calling, it is intricately tied up with the church of Jesus Christ. It's like a soldier saying, I want to be a successful soldier, but actually choosing not to be part of a successful army. That individual is only as successful as the unit, as the, 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 the army that they're a part of. And, uh, and this morning, I want to unpack something from the scriptures, three simple things about the wonder of what it is of being part of a, of a local church and what God has called us to. And remember, he, he's building. Jesus said, I'm building my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And as Europe is shaking, you know, the petrol prices are going up, and it's like, Lord, where are you? Jesus said that there's one thing that is unshakable, which is his kingdom, and his kingdom that comes through the body of Christ, through the church. This is a wonderful place to be, friends, um, even in the midst of these times. And so I'd like to, in light of that, read a scripture to you, and I'd like us to turn together to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19 to 22. Um, all right, Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. And it says this, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. And so what he does here is he refers to the church firstly as a household, as a family. And you know, church, someone once said, is not like a family. Church is a family. And that when you get born again and, get, and you join with a local church, you are not we are not just like brothers and sisters. Before God, we are brothers and sisters. Um, there's this wonderful, the whole section actually deals with how God took two different types of people, Jews and Gentiles, who were so different from one another, who hated one another with animosity towards one another. And it says that he took these groups of people and he made them to be one new man a new person, a new, a new nationality, and in a sense that we together here, we, we, we're not divided by our culture, by our language, by your background. You know, I'm, I'm English. My background is actually, I'm Seychellois. I'm from the Seychelles. I've got a French descent. But traditionally, the French have hated the English. But I've got some British brothers and sisters here, and man, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. <laughs> Some of you have got certain kinds of tastes, and you would kind of, most of us would never hang around one another if it was not for the church. We would never be friends, actually. You know, because you look around, it's like, I don't think I'd be your friend, because we're so different. But because of Jesus, he has taken these differences, and he's made us one new man. Isn't it wonderful? And that kind of those things disappear because of our unity in the person, Jesus Christ. And he speaks about that, he carries on, but then what he does is he changes the metaphor, and he changes it from a family to a building. Not a physical building, but a, a building is the metaphor. And he says this, that um, in verse 20, he says, household of God, and then he says, verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so what I want to do is I want to pull out three things this morning from the Scripture and tie it back into your life and my life um, and for the life of the church here. So the first thing is that he says that this building 
has a foundation. That's the first thing. The second thing he says is that this building is made up of materials. And the third thing is, is this building has an owner, right? And so we're going to look at these three things together and unpack what it means. And so the first thing he says is this building, the church, the, the people of God has a foundation. And I, you know probably that if you've done any building, some of you might have done building projects or you're studying you know, architecture, you're studying engineering, you know that a foundation is very important. And we know what happens that when a building has a poor foundation. Um, I haven't actually been to Italy, but I've be- had friends that have gone to Italy to see that famous old building that is leaning to the side, that old tower, the leaning tower of Pisa. And this tower, which initially when they started building this tower, I think it was about 800 years ago, they started building the tower. They built the tower and they, the aim was to build it eight floors straight up. And as they started building the tower, after about the third floor, they noticed that the, already the structure was leaning heavily to one side. And so what they did is they, they started to counterbalance the tower, but like building Jenga. You know when you play Jenga? the Jenga blocks, and you like, you pull it out, and then you put it on, and you're trying to balance out that tower so it doesn't fall. Um, and in the same way, what they started to do is they started to, rather than work into the foundations, they actually try to counterbalance the structure by getting the structure up straight. And in the end, they actually had to stop building. For over a century, they stopped building this building, and then eventually they carried on again, but Over the last hundred years, what they found out is they found out that the leaning tower of Pisa, the reason it's leaning is because it's built on a specific kind of soil. It's like a clay soil um, that's causing it to lean. It's soft clay soil, and it's too shallow. It's not deep enough for, for foundation. And so what they've done is modern kind of engineers have come in, and they've gone into the foundation just to keep it up, because otherwise this thing would fall over. And in the same way is that the church of Jesus Christ and your life and my life must have a foundation. It must have a deep foundation and a firm foundation. And what he says here about the church is that the church, the body of Christ, has the foundation, but it's built on something that's not like anything on earth. It says here that it's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And it uses these two groups of people um, Now, ancient foundations weren't built with concrete like today. They were built with little stones or rocks. And then you had this big rock that was the cornerstone, and all the other rocks were kind of put together, leaning off or or leading off that cornerstone, almost at a right angle, which the cornerstone gave the building stability, gave the foundation some substance. And, um, and so what he's saying here, he's saying that, that this building, the church, is made up of these rocks, but these rocks are, are the gifts of the church, apostles and prophets. We don't actually have time to get into it this morning because there's so much to be said on it, and it's not that relevant for us right now. But moving on. <laughs> we, we don't have time to get it. But I want to focus on this thing of, it says that Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone. And the cornerstone was important because, in a sense, if you took out the cornerstone of an ancient building, the building would crumble. It would fall down. The cornerstone was what the building depended on. And, you know, in the same way, he's saying that the church of Jesus Christ depends and is, depends on the person and the work of Jesus, the cross and the resurrection, that if it wasn't for Jesus, the church could not stand. 
It's amazing to think about that, 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 that Jesus is not like an attachment to the church, you know? It's not that you and I say, you know, we just have to be good people, and if we are moral, then, then we're part of the church. No, Jesus is the center of the church. And just as you and I, in a sense, what, what identifies you as a Christian, what is the one thing that makes you a Christian? It's the fact that you say, I love Jesus. I follow Jesus. He's my everything. He's the center of my life. Um, the old musician, Keith Green, he was an American musician. He would say, a Christian is someone who's bananas for Jesus. And like, that's what, I, that's what, like, that's what a Christian is, man. It's like, if, if someone pokes you, it's Jesus. It's not that you're moral or you just have these good values. No, it's Jesus. And if someone pokes you, if someone pricks you, in a sense, outflows of you, this love for Christ, and you depend upon him and you trust in him. But in the same way, what happens is it says that the church has to depend upon him in the same way. And a Christian church, what makes a Christian church authentic? It's because Jesus is the center. Christ is the Lord. But you know, today, you know, many churches, we depend on a lot of things to make a church successful. And maybe you've come out of a church. For me, coming out of a very traditional church, what made our church successful is we had the trappings of tradition. You know, like we had the altar, and you had the crucifix, and you had the building, because you couldn't meet without the building. You had the priest, and the altar boys, and the pews. Today, we're kind of more trendy. We've got, like, coffee, man. <laughs> like, if we got coffee in the church, it's like, man, we depend on that. And if we, or we got the slick sound. And I know many churches actually have built their, they built the church, not around the presence of God, but they build their churches around something else, around the music, around a show. And so you come in, and maybe the auditorium's all dark, you know, because you're coming in, you've got these high-back chairs. I know one church we were, um, in an area we lived in recently renovated their venue, but they renovated their venue with high-back movie theater chairs going down, a very large venue, because they want people to have this experience, but people don't see one another because it's like a dark and light. It's, we don't depend on those things, friends. I know there's an old story. I don't know if you've heard the story of um, the musician Matt Redman. And he wrote the song many years ago, when, um, I'm Coming Back to the Heart of Worship, and it's all about you. And the, the verses go, when the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come, you know, sings that song. And that song was birthed out of a time in their church. He was part of a large church in, uh, in England um, led by a guy called Mike Pilavachi. And the church had very successful musicians. They were slick. They, you know, kind of when people played, people came just to hear the music and listen to the worship and be caught up into almost worshiping worship. And in that time, Mike Pilavachi felt grieved in the Holy Spirit. And he felt that, that the Lord said, you're building on the wrong foundation. You're building on worship. And you're not building on Jesus. And so what he did is he said to the worship team, he said, guys, we are going to can all the music. And so they literally, he literally fired the whole worship team. Not in a bad way, he said, we want you to be part, but from now on, we're not going to have music for the next season because we're building on the wrong foundation. And I felt like God wants to readjust. So what they did is they had one person up on the stage with a microphone, and they just sang. And Matt Redmond tells a story, because I heard him share this um, years ago in Port Elizabeth, and he says, you know what? It was gloriously awkward. It was so awkward, man. It was like, it was just like, ah, it was just awkward. And it took them a number of weeks because they felt like there was something missing. We should, we should have music. We should have the band. 
And yet as they came back, and out of that time, he wrote the song, When the Music Fades, all is stripped away. And you know, friends, just as the church has to depend, we, we depend upon Christ, in a sense. That's why we come. Now, you might come to church maybe for other reasons initially. That's not a bad thing. I mean, we all come out of relationship. We come because we enjoy the, the vibe. I know when I started going to church when I was in high school, I went because of the girls. I was looking for a girlfriend. That's why I went to the youth group that I was part of. I wasn't coming for Christ. I wasn't born again. <laughs> but God used that. He drew me in, and I got born again. And while our motives might be all different, but when we come in, friends, it's like we come in because the lifeblood is rooted around Jesus. And, you know, I want to ask you the question, is just as the church has to, be, has to have a foundation, your life and my life has to have a foundation. And it has to be built on Jesus as the cornerstone. And I want to ask you this morning, what are you depending upon? If you're honest. Because I think sometimes we can depend upon the security of a job or the security of a family or the security of whatever it it is we can kind of fuel and find our affirmation and even our identity in. And, And yet God tests us on these things where he says, actually, if I strip all of those things away, what is left? Will you be built upon, upon, upon my son, Jesus Christ? Um, and the thing is, we don't often know this until we get tested. You know, it's like the man that, the two men that Jesus says, the one built his house on the sand, and the other man built his house on the rock. But the thing with the, both these houses is that both these houses were standing. I mean, they're both, like, the man on the sand, he had a beachfront property. You know, he must have been like, hey, man, wave to the guy on the rock, like, sorry for you. You're on the rock. I'm on the sand. You know, and you almost get a sense that, but then the storm came. And when the storm came, it tested the foundation of what he had built. And the same way, I think what happens, friends, is when we get tested, suddenly those foundations, like, ah. What am I really building my life upon? Um, I know when we came to Josh Jen, this is in 1999, my wife and I had been married about a year, and in 1999, we, we were friends with Andrew Selly. We had known him for a number of years. We were just old friends with him. And when he planted Josh Jen, we felt the Lord prompt us to go down. Uh, we gave up our jobs in Port Elizabeth, and we moved to Cape Town in faith just so we could be part of the church plant. And so we came down about three months after they planted, and so the church already was meeting then in a little surf life-saving club um, right on Bloberg Beach, and we'd, we'd, we'd meet there, about 30, 40 people. And so we're part of that journey from the early days. But the thing is, is that we came into Josh Jen, and I came in as a worship leader. In fact, just not any worship leader. I was a worship leader. I was, I was, in fact, I'd recorded songs. We had sung our songs in, in the church that I was part of in PE. Uh, I'd even recorded music and it had been played on the radio. I mean, I thought in my mind, I'm a big deal, you know. And initially when we spoke to Andrew the year before, it was like, hey, we're feeling in our hearts, the Lord, what, the January, we, that the Lord wants to, us to move. And he says, it's great. Oh, and you can lead worship. Great, we're going to use you. And I was like, yes, of course, you know. Up. Uh, the gift of God, you know? <laughs> and, so, and so here I was, I'd been leading worship, I'd been, you know, recording stuff. And so we come to Cape Town, 
end of March, early April, and I'm ready to lead worship. And, and we had come once or twice already to the church, and I'd led the, the one time in Feb. And at that point, the only worship leader was a, um, was a single mom, Julie Delisle. She was a worship leader. She wasn't very good. She kind of would strum and sing, and I realized, like, I'm here, you know, you can. And so as I come into the church, I'm ready to now, you know, almost bring in and kind of bring my gift, and I want to serve. And of course, I wanted to serve the church. I mean, we had sacrificed to come. We'd left things. We had, but in many ways, I realized that God was testing me. And so what happened was, Andrew says, we arrive, and Andrew says, you know what, Mike? Actually, I don't want you to be involved in worship at this point. I just want you to be a saint. I just want you to be a son in the house. I just want you to enjoy, get to know people, and then maybe, maybe one day I'll use you. And in fact, he said, would you be okay if I actually never use you to lead worship? You know, maybe the Lord has something else for you. And he said it very gently and very nicely, but he basically said, I don't really want your gift right now. And I remember the world fell out. It's like the bottom fell out of my world. And I got home that night, and I was like, babe, you won't believe what happened. Andrew said, I mustn't lead worship. In fact, and suddenly, it was like I went through the dark night of the soul. Now, not, it might sound like I'm being super dramatic right now, but it wasn't at that time. And I realized that God was saying, Mike, you've built your identity. You've, built, you've, you've depended upon your music, your gift. You've, you've depended upon something other than my son. And you found your validation, not in who you are in Jesus, but you're trying to find it in something else. And I remember God pressing, and he says, Mike, actually, this is from me. And if you never get to minister, if you never get to lead worship, if you only ever are just a saint in the house, just someone that learns how to love the people of God and learns how to just be a son in the house, would that be okay? I was like, no, no, it won't. <laughs> and, and so I wrestled. I remember wrestling. And I remember having to at some point say, God, okay, I'm going to lay this thing down. And if you never raise it up again, I'm actually going to be fine with that. And I actually had to learn how to die. I had to die to something of myself. And because I had to be rooted properly in, in Jesus. And you know, I, that's some of my story. And I can share many other times where I've been tested on those types of things. There's some of you that are here today where, where God is wanting to press those things that maybe for you, you are depending upon something, but you don't even realize it. Rather than while using those things, actually depending upon Jesus. And you know, friends, that's the wonder of the gospel. That's why Jesus has given us the gospel message, which is the power of God in our lives, and to go back to these things. Um, and so I want to read the scripture to you in 1 Peter, just on this, about depending on Christ. In 1 Peter 2 verse 6, I want to read the scripture to you. And it says, for it stands in Scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And see, here's the promise, that if our faith is rooted rightly in Jesus, there's no condemnation, there's no shame that is given to us. Isn't that a wonderful Scripture? Isn't that a wonderful promise? And you know, but what does it mean to, to kind of depend on the Lord? What does it mean to to believe in him. Because in some ways, even the demons believe. I mean, that's what James says. You know, the devil is not an atheist. The demons, they believe in God. <laughs> but this kind of Christian belief, which is, and I know we know this, but, but I think it's just a good reminder that this Christian belief is this idea that, Lord, 
It's a wholehearted belief that I lean on Jesus, I depend on Him, I trust in Him, that if God says, I want you to give away your money, I want you to do this, I want you to do that, you say, yes, Lord, I'm going to be obedient because I'm depending on you. I'm trusting in you, God. And so, that's number one, is having the right foundation. Let's look at number two, the materials. And let's look at verse 21 and 22 of Ephesians 2 again. The materials. And it says that this building is being joined together, in whom this whole structure being joined together, it says, in him you are being built together. And the wonder of this is obviously that we are the materials. You and I are made up as living stones. And if we look at 1 Peter 2 verse 5, let's look at the scripture. 1 Peter 2 5 says, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house. I love what A.W. Tozer says. He says this. He says, 100 religious persons knit into a unity by careful organization do not constitute a church any more than 11 dead men make a football team. The first requisite is life. Life always. Let me read it again. 100 religious persons knit together in a unity by careful organization, do not constitute a church as much as 11 dead men make a football team. No, it's life. And interesting here what it says is that this material is made up of living stones. It's not some kind of just dead. It is a living stone. In other words, the fact that you and I are born again into the church and are added into the family of God. And so as we're born again, we are then, God takes you and he says, well, where can I put you? What family can I join you into and make you part of? And, you know, we lived in a house in Oatsaw and we had a chance to plant a church there a number of years ago, 2004. We planted in Oatsorn. We lived there for six years. And the house we bought was an old sandstone house. And this house had been made together by these massive stones that had been shipped from a quarry. And this house had all these different shaped stones. Some were smaller, some were bigger. And as you looked at it, it wasn't made up of, of kind of bricks like this that all looked the same. And in ancient buildings, that's what it was. It was sh- Stones of different sizes that were put together. And isn't that what the church is? It's you and I that are different. And we come together and we are put together. We are knitted together. But the thing is, when we are knitted together, sometimes it's uncomfortable because it's like, I'm a living stone, you're a living stone. And he comes and he says, but I'm going to bring you together. And it's like awkward because now, in a sense, he's going to use you to build the church. But, but you, 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 you've got a, a stone on top and a stone on the side and a stone underneath, and it's like you're stuck. You know, that you can't do what you want. You're not a rolling stone. You're not a stone that says, sorry, I'm tapping out of this. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be part of this church thing. I'm, you know, I think it's better if I'm just kind of hanging on my own in the quarry. You know, just me and the other stones loosely hanging out, man. You know, that's what we're going to do. And God says, no, 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 I take you from the quarry, and I build you into a people, and I knit you together, and that means that, that you're kind of stuck. And this stone that's in the wall there, in a sense, you can't just say, that stone can't say, sorry, for, I'm tapping out, you know. That stone can't do it, friends. He's, he's joined in, in a deep sense. And we get an idea that when God knits you together as those that are, are full of life, that, that have the spirit inside of you, you, you root it in. There's no, you can't just say, sorry, I'm, I'm moving overseas tomorrow and I'm going, cheers, sorry for you. Or saying, you know, I've got this job in Johannesburg, I'm moving up, I just want to let you know I'm going. 
or having this idea of like thinking that we live for ourselves anymore. We don't. And so Romans 12 says that now that we are a body, it says that we belong together. That means it's not like the hand can say, you know, the hand says, oh no, you know, I'm tired of this body. Here, I'm just going to wander off on its own. And then that hand goes out the door. Can you imagine how crazy that would be? And yet what happens is the church does the same, friends. We think we're just individual entities that are doing our own life, but rather we are knitted in under authority with the people of God. And something, sorry, I'm I'm rabbit trailing, but I, I felt like I need to say this. There might be some of you here this morning, and maybe you've had that attitude of like, you know, I'll attend a church, I'll go to the church, I'll visit the church, or I will be part but you kind of, if you're honest, keep a bit of arm's length away because maybe, maybe for you, you're, for whatever reason, you've been reticent to tie yourself in and knit yourself into the body of Christ. Maybe there's been hurt in the past or a distrust of leaders, or maybe you're a burnt stone where as a stone you've given yourself but you've been burnt, or maybe you just don't know what it means to be a part. And you know, God this morning wants to come and he wants to be a people of unity that you are running together in the Lord for the things of God. There's no space for that, friends. And I, and I feel like I want to touch on this because maybe some of you here is like you, you've missed out on the blessing of being knitted in. You know, sometimes it's hard being knitted in. It's difficult sometimes because it means that we have to love one another. And I don't know about you, but I know when I've given myself into a group of people, I realized, like, man, sometimes the church is not easy to love. You know, there's people in your community group that you think, whoa, I don't know if I want to be friends with them. Let's be honest, right? Or you've got that person that is part of your your life group, and you think, like, that person just irritates me. They rub me up the wrong way. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Okay, this is true for me. And I've had to learn how to extend grace to them and love them. Or maybe one of your leaders stand up and says something. You go, what? That's, ah, no. You know, you disagree with them. And I think so often is like, as Christians, there's a sense that God would want us to, do, to learn how to bear up with one another in love. That's what the New Testament says. It keeps saying, but forgive one another. Love one another. You know, someone once said that marriage is the union of two forgivers. In other words, that to make a successful marriage, you've got to forgive one another ongoingly for many, many years, overlooking each other's sins, saying, you know what, that irritates me, but I love you. I'm not going to try and change you. And yet in the church, it's like somehow we're not always as thick-skinned as that. And in the same way, church is a union. Stellenbosch AM is a union of 150 forgivers. Do you believe that? Whatever, if, and maybe you're visiting here this morning from, a, you're from another place. It's like church is a place of where that's what Paul says, but we bear up with one another in love. We, 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 we extend grace. We learn how to deal with conflict in a way that honors the Lord. And if you haven't yet, I can promise you one of the tests of being a living stone is that somebody is going to offend you. I can, I, can, I can promise you that right now. You're going to go through the test of offense. If you haven't yet, you will. God will ordain the test of offense because he wants to teach you how to learn how to deal with conflict in a biblical way. And it's like some of us have learned how to deal with conflict by shying away from it. You know, the hedgehog approach. It's like, 
and we kind of, we avoid conflict. We, we're the peace fakers. How are you doing, brother? Huh? You know? You know? Blessed are the peace fakers, you know, for they shall inherit the earth. And we kind of, you know, put on a Christian smile, you know, and we, we kind of come and we're part of it. Inside, it's like, there's like something there. There's unforgiveness. There's, maybe there's a bit of bitterness. Maybe there's a bit of hurt. And it's like that thing has to be dealt with. Jesus didn't say blessed. He doesn't even say blessed are the peace breakers. Some others of you are like the way you're a living stone. It's like, I'm going to come into this church. And when you get upset, you're a rhino. It's like, you're going to attack the situation, you know, and everyone knows that you're upset and you storm out or you, I'm leaving this place. It's not enough. No, blessed are the peacemakers, the ones who come and who learn how to deal with conflict in a way that is biblical. That when we get offended as a living stone, it's like, I'm going to go to my brother and I'm going to go to my sister and I'm going to have an honest conversation. I'm going to say, I love you so much, but there's this one thing that happened that you really hurt me, man. Can we talk about it? I might be wrong because I know that I have the log in my own eye. Jesus didn't say, by the way, in Matthew 7, because we think, oh, no, but Mike, you can't judge. No, we can judge, but we judge. We don't have a judgmental attitude. Jesus says, first take the log out of your own eye. Then you can point out the speck in your brother's eye. There is a place to point those things out. But we do it very humbly, knowing like, oh, my word, I am a sinner. I've messed up. And so if I have to go to... If I have to go to even my leader, or I feel my leader has hurt me in some way, I've got to go to him and say, can we talk about this? And if the leader doesn't hear you, friends, the, wonder, the wonderful thing about being part of Josh Jen is that there's always a recourse because we're part of a bigger family. You know, we don't always get it right. I know someone asked me a while ago, like, what is Josh Jen? You know, like, how, how would you describe Josh Jen? It's a very good question. Um, in some ways, Josh Jen, you know, a friend of mine said this to, you, uh, to me, and he, they're from Edgemead with Will Murray. They're part of his church, Kingdom Faith. And he said, you know, the thing with our church in Edgemead, it was like a nice little English family. And there's a mom and a dad and two children. And we all were, were predictable and English and kind of safe. And I'm just picking on the English today. I don't know why. And you know, it was kind of, that was kind of family. He said, but when you came in, when Josh Jen came in, suddenly it was like this crazy Italian family that came in. It's like all the cousins and the uncles and the aunts and, hey, Uncle Luigi's come in, you know, and Auntie, uh, whatever, you know, you know, I can't think of an Italian lady's name, you know, and um, Mamma Mia, and, you know, and it's, uh, you know, and they all come in, and then it's like, whoa, who's this now, you know, and who's this guy? I thought Kala was here every, Kala was the leader. Who's this guy? Who's this Mike? Hey, I'm Mikey, you know. Hey, I'm from the Italian family down in Wellington. You know, it's like, we're part of this, we're part of this movement, we're part of a movement of churches We've had to learn. We've had to learn how to deal with conflict. My goodness, if like the one thing I find, I mean, I've been part of church life for 30 years. If there's one thing that I can say, I've had to learn how to deal with conflict. And God would want to toughen us up. So friends, when the world looks at you, this is what Color prayed earlier, when the world looks at you, they say, but what is it about you? That the love of God could be so evident among you. Surely God is in your midst. These, I'm telling you, this is, a, this is an attractive thing. This is beautiful in the sight of God because it's a, it's a sign of the gospel. It's a sign of, of that you've had a changed heart. If you always get offended or, you never, or you've got unforgiveness, it's a sign that there's something wrong inside of you that God would want to do, not about your leaders. So I just want to touch on maybe those burnt stones this morning. Friends, if you're a burnt stone and you've been on the side and, and you haven't actually given yourself, you haven't knitted yourself in, 
that is not the heart of God for you. Learn how to kind of come closer with the fathers. Come closer, my son. Come closer, my daughter. I'm going to knit you in with these crazy group of people that are on a journey to disciple the nations. Are you ready? Are you ready? Or are we oxygen thieves? It's just like sucking oxygen and stealing some air and then going to die one day, make some money, die. Thank God we're not. Amen. <laughs> so number one was this building has a foundation, and we depend upon Christ and individually together. Secondly, I mentioned this building has materials made up of people, real people, born again, but learning to grow and deal with conflict. The third thing I want to mention is that this building has an owner. Building has an owner, and I love what Ephesians 2.22 says. It says that, that as we've been built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I love that. It says, you yourselves, not 2 verse 5, oh yeah, 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 there. But being built together into a dwelling place for God. In other words, what it means, a house for God or a home for God. That you're, you're a home for God. In other words, God wants to, to live among us and be with us and dwell among us. And when he sees, he's attracted by, the, by faith. He's attracted by people that love one another. And as he sees that, it kind of hosts his presence in a very real way. As we, as we fight for unity, as we contend to love one another. Uh, I was a number of years ago um, in London, and we did one of those open bus tours through London. And it was wonderful. You know, those red buses, we were on the, on the bus. We got to see all the, all the sites. The one site that we got to see, which I was so looking forward to, which was, the most, which was a very iconic building in London. I mean, some of you might have been there or seen it, which was Buckingham Palace. And I was like, I, the problem was, we, the bus took us to the back of Buckingham Palace, not to the front. So we literally saw the back end, the backside of Buckingham Palace. It was terrible. So I didn't really get to see it, but, but I'd seen pictures of the front, and we wanted to see the changing of the guard. So anyway, I didn't get to see it, but I saw the backside of it. Even that was, let me say, even that was glorious. But the reason I'm sharing the story is you see thousands of, hundreds of thousands of tourists a year that go to Buckingham Palace to go to this building. Why? What makes Buckingham Palace so iconic and so, so wondrous to behold in a way? Because of the queen. Because the queen lives there. It's iconic because of the person that dwells within it. And you know, the church is like that, friends. The church is iconic and beautiful and, and, and a glory into the earth. Not, not just because of you and I, but because of the one that makes his home among us, Jesus, his spirit, the Father, the Trinitarian God that dwells among us. Isn't that wonderful? And so we're a people of his presence. And so isn't this a wonderful thing? And, and I want to trust, you know, this morning as, as we close, is that God's looking for you and I to be part of this people. God's church is not a leaning tower of Pisa where it's kind of, you know, we just, we're dysfunctional and no, God's will is a healthy church, that you are part of that, and I am part of that, and that we see the wonder of the people of God. And, um, and so I want to pray for you this morning as we do, and, and just pray that, that the Lord would encourage you in your faith this morning. God is busy building one thing. He says, I will build my church. Matthew, in Matthew, six, uh, Matthew 16, Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. If we run into him, into his people, friends, there is safety, there's faith, there's security, there's presence. 
There's, there's all these wonderful things. And I just wanted to remind you of that this morning. So let's pray together. Thank you, Lord.